So we are back in the room once again. You're here with Jack and Sean on You Ain't Heard Nothing Yet. And uh, on the podcast today, we have an incredibly talented musician and singer. He has played all over the world at festivals, at pubs, even does the odd wedding as well. He currently plays with Brian Downey's Alive and Dangerous. And I'm told he has green hands and a knack for beekeeping. Uh, Don't stand too close to him or you might get stung. It is the brilliantly fantastic Matt Wilson. Matt, how are you? Not too bad at all. How are you, Jack? I'm good, man. I'm good. Um, struggling on, you know yourself, like. You know, more money, more problems. <laughs> yeah, I know all about it, dude. I know all about it. But um, so look, we're just going to jump right into it. Um, tell the listeners sort of okay. who you are, where you're from, and uh, what's your crack at the moment. I am Matthew Wilson, and I am a musician and a singer from Drumore County Down in Northern Ireland. Um, as you said, with that. Uh, Beautiful introduction. Um, I'm playing with Brian Down, he's alive and dangerous. But I do a number of things, a bit of session work, weddings, pub gigs, uh, bar mitzvahs, holy communions. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Uh, the, the, there is a wide range of stuff you have to do to, you know, to put food on the table as a professional musician. But yes. at the moment, the whole corona thing has put pair to that. But uh, I'm trying to work on some original material, you know, the sort of isolation and the amount of free time I had. I sort of try to put it to use. And I'm hoping I'm maybe doing a few releases in 2001. So, or in 2020. (laughs) We're going back about that. (laughs) (laughs) Happy days, dude. Happy days. Well, before we sort of just get into that and how you've been getting on through lockdown, do you want to just tell us sort of how you get into music um, and sort of, you know, what was the crack with that? Is your family musical or, you know, did you just one day, you know, did somebody shove a guitar or a piano or a violin or a tin whistle in front of you? Or, or so where did that come about? Um, nobody really in my family's music, you know what I mean? Like um, people like get up and sing a song or play a tune or something yeah, yeah. like that. No, I just thought it was really cool. You know, you saw music videos and, you know, bands and TV and Top of the Pops and whatever. And it was just, uh, the guitar was very exotic and alluring kind of thing. So I just, I just wanted one. And I wasn't particularly good, but I just kept uh, chipping away at it. And I've always been able to sing. I can remember kind of um, skiving off school. And just sort of walking about and sort of humming to myself. And I thought, oh, that, that sounds good. And uh, just went, sort of went from there. Okay, okay. Pretty good. I suppose then, as you got into playing instruments and singing and all that sort of stuff, who were your musical influences, either as a fan growing up that you then can see reflected in your own stuff? Or who influenced you essentially from a musical perspective growing up, acts with? Um, most, most definitely people like Phil Lynott and Thin Lizzy, um, you know, that was kind of the, one of the main impetuses behind picking up the bass or whatever was, was hearing the music of Thin Lizzy. And, you know, I kind of took my first steps at singing, singing along to their tunes. But a lot of people like, um, Bob Marley, Bobby Womack, Bill Withers, uh, Marvin Gaye. Always oh, crack cracker, and it was it was very sad that he passed away there because you know yeah. he he, kind of, he kind of shunned the music industry towards the end of it, you know uh, after he sort of finished his career, so mm-hmm. he, he vowed he'd never he'd never play a gig again. I don't I don't think he did. Maybe m- m- one of your listeners can uh, fact find that, but <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, 
uh, George Clinton, Parliament Funkadelic, um, Curtis Mayfield, Sam Cooke, Grace Jones. In about 2011 or 12, mm. I went to see Prince oh, man. in Malahide. In 2011 or 2012. And uh, it was kind of like a religious experience. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I'd, you know, don't, don't get me wrong, I'd practiced and I'd worked hard and to get to like a sort of okay standard as a musician and singer. But I remember seeing Prince just playing like three hours of, of back-to-back hits, no filler. And, um, you know, he was having a go on every single instrument and kicking ass at it. And <laughs> he was maybe doing a costume change, so maybe the bass player sung a song or the piano player <laughs> And I, I considered myself a singer or a musician or whatever. And, you know, they were far superior at, at their side gig than their me, you know, than I wasn't at my main gig kind of thing. It kind of made me uh, reassess things. So I just started practicing and really wanting to learn and get better. And that sort of coincided with, like, leaving university mm-hmm. and, you know, trying to find work, you know, finding my feet as a working musician kind of thing. Okay. And what what made you go towards the bass guitar um, specifically, like as that as a particular instrument? Fat fingers. Uh, um, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I wasn't really making a lot of progress on the guitar. And my guitar teacher was like, did you ever fancy playing the bass? Uh-huh. And, and then I asked my mom for a, a bass that Christmas and I got one. And um, here we are today. But I think, and then I, I took to it much, much quicker. And I suppose people sort of respond to different instruments better. You know, when I gained an understanding of music and rhythm through playing the bass, mm-hmm. I was able to sort of go back and become a better guitar player or a better keyboard player, or, you know, hit a drum or whatever. So uh, the, the bass, you know, started it all. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then speaking of starting it all, where that sort of life as he says a working musician what was your first sort of band um well i played like in a, in a pile of original bands you know prior to you know working as a musician uh, i was in a thin lizzy cover band called tiz lizzy um, <laughs> i like it <laughs> and um that, I, you know we just toured ireland and england and you know i paid for my first proper equipment and give me an idea of, of what was expected of me. But sort of at a point, you know, when I was about 20 or 21, um, I kind of wanted to do my own thing. Mm. And uh, I was sort of fed up of, of, of playing um, other people's music. And then I formed a band called The Dead Presidents. Great. Great it started out as like a sort of a Hendrixy kind of band. Like a three-piece, drums, bass, and guitar. And, you know, the tunes were, I was writing, you know, a big arrangement could be put into them. So we, we got like an organ player and a saxophone player and a trombone player and a trumpet player. And I stopped playing bass and just sung. And we got a bass player. And it became like a big eight-piece, kind of like funk and soul kind of band. And cool. we played all over the UK and Ireland played a lot of festivals and our music played all over the place, but um, it was very much um, very socialist, a society of equals. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. 
with me as like the benevolent uh, dictator at the top. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's the Yugoslavian guy, Tito or whatever? I was like the kind of <laughs> not, so, not so evil dictator. Um, <laughs> and it just, you know, micromanaging eight people and trying to get eight people in the same room mm. uh, was just a nightmare. And it, and it was great. We, had, we sold out a load of gigs and EPs and headlines and supported all these cool people and uh, it was really 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 fun and, and again it, it gave me an idea of what was expected of me and then at that point that would have sort of coincided with leaving university and the sort of necessity to start you know bringing home the bacon yeah, yeah. Uh, um so I just started you know playing covers uh, and initially it was just me on a bass and a succession of different guitar players. And, and then the guy from the Dead Presidents, me and him did it for a long time. And then I started playing with uh, two other guys, a guy called Phil and a guy called Eamon, mm-hmm. who, you know, between them play with Van Morrison and Sinead O'Connor. Very, very, very talented guy. And um, we had a band called the El Dude Brothers. And it was just like that. Like, it was a cover band and sort of, Modus operandi was, you know, you could walk into any bar in town and the music, the, the, you'd be guaranteed there would be music, but everybody would play the same old songs. It was yeah. kind of boring. Yeah. So we concentrated on playing stuff we liked and, you know, not obscure stuff, but ah. um, music that turned us on. And hopefully if, if we were turned on by playing it, the crowd would, would be, and that's sort of what happened. Mm-hmm. And you know, at one at one point we were doing like eight or nine gigs a week, and fuck for a play, good stuff. It was it was hectic, but ultimately you become a victim of your your own success. And it's <laughs> mm-hmm. I know, I suppose, I suppose like somebody working down a coal mine or like shoveling uh, shite all day, you know, <laughs> you know, he just has to sing and play the guitar, you know, x yeah. amount of hours a week. But you know, you're putting yourself out there. And um, you're pumping a, a lot of energy into, into a room, and that's draining. And sometimes you just want to sit in a dark room by yourself and not speak to anybody. So, um, yeah. and then, you know, everybody in the band was good at what they did. And, you know, it meant that different times, different individuals in the band and myself would have to go off and do other things. Mm-hmm. And again, it just became too hard to manage as everybody was you know going off in their separate ways and becoming successful so i just started i wasn't a great guitar player but i thought well if it's just me um and like i bring the the equipment and it's only i i have to do the thinking and it's, it's just me um then only only the kind of blame if anything goes wrong can fall with me yes, so it started yes. one piece stuff for my guitar playing got better and then i've done like Sing, session singing on like TV ads in like weird places. Like I did one for Milka, like chocolate bars in Germany. And then I did one for like lips, iced tea in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> <laughs> what? How did that come out? I did this thing and like when I left university called Access to Music, right. which was like, if you were on the dole uh, and you had an interest in music or a passion in music or skill, music-based skills, yeah. Uh, it was like a six-month program where, like, one day a week you had a class for this sort of uh, music business qualification. 
and they were teaching you about how to release things and PRS and IRSC codes and how to market yourself and all this kind of stuff. And then the other four days of the working week, you had a placement. Mm-hmm. And it was great. Like um, For some people, it wasn't so great. Like They maybe got a placement stacking shelves. In, um, in a record store or something? HMV, yeah. But, um, but I, I was all right. Some people got great placements. Uh, but I was all right. I worked in a music school. And, oh, and like, very good. On like an online music publishing thing, like reviewing like bands and releases and stuff. And but the guy that ran it was a guy called Mark Gordon. He's a lovely guy, and uh, he had a company called Scoredraw. He still does, which is about like composition of music for like synchronization with ads. Okay. So he'd get like a brief, you know, at like a funky upbeat kind of tune and they'll maybe give him a clip of a song they like and then he'll write something or his team will write something and that gets synced to the ad so just by meeting him in the course um he needed a sort of distinctive sort of deep soulful voice and i was happy to do it so and there you go <laughs> and you were blasted across the the tv screens and airwaves of saudi arabia <laughs> I am like a god in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> I can't walk down the street without getting mobbed and um, <laughs> autographs and such things. It's it's, it's awful, you know. Um, <laughs> no, I've never actually been to Saudi Arabia, but um, I and what else have I done? I, uh, I did. Um, I, I played on a something that hasn't been released yet because the. Has Corona fucked up that too? The fr- yeah, it was, it was like <laughs> yeah. a football, like a world football club. Under 19 uh, football teams. So we were like, uh, a guy had written a song and, and he employed a lot of local musicians to play on this like anthem for the for the football tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're called the, the Back Five. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's called Under 19 Dream. Okay, okay. And, uh, <laughs> Keep it in contact. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's about the height of it, really. Like, uh, different not different bits of session work for local bands. And, and then after that, I got, I got asked to join the, the Brian Downey thing because uh, I love music. I learned how to play music, listen to Thin Lizzy, and Phil Lineup was a bit of a, a role model. And... Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure, and it made me really feel like I come full circle. As the like the kid who picked up the the bass guitar and started singing because of a full liner, and that's cool. Because ultimately, he doesn't get a lot of credit. I think the narrative that you know, heroin addict um, tragedy is for a lot of people at a superficial level that is the bigger story, but then that belies the fact that what a great artist he was and you yeah. know and poet he died well, when he was 36 mm. yeah very very much so like he, he too uh, published works of poetry mm-hmm. um and like he was 36 when he died and he'd done like maybe like 15 albums mm-hmm. and x y and z collaborations and um you know what i mean that 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 canon of work uh, is really, really, really impressive. And he kind of, between himself and Rory Gallagher, they kind of built the foundations 
of the modern Irish music industry, which, you know, if they hadn't done that, they wouldn't be a U2 or a, a, a Sinead O'Connor or Undertones or X, Y, or Z. Yeah. And even, like, as you say, as a poet, as a literary figure, you know, he's that sort of generation's equivalent to Joyce or Beckett or uh, Yeats or whatever, but because of that sort of oh, illegitimate mixed race junkie storyline, yeah. You know, people don't really get to see that side of things, and I think that's sad. And hopefully, people will rediscover that. Mm-hmm. And um, but yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure doing it and getting to play with one of my heroes and getting to play all over the world and support really cool like artists like Ozzy Osbourne and um, Depeche Mode and mm. Iron Maiden and all this all this cool shit and like. Um, I don't know if, you know, spiritually spooky things are your vibe. You know, you might you might be um, um, skeptical of all that side of things, but I, I kind of feel like um, Phil Lennon watches over me. Okay, okay, um, yeah. He talks to me all night. <laughs> <laughs> What's that, mummy? You want that? <laughs> no, um, no, just like you know, sends vibes and, and uh, positivity and, uh, you know, answers and stuff like that. Whenever, uh, music, musically based, not like, uh, what am I going to have to dinner tonight? <laughs> Should I buy these pair of uh, corduroy jeans? <laughs> exactly. But, uh, yeah, and it, it's been a privilege and a pleasure. And, um, again, like today... No, I'm not saying I have these qualities or whatever, but um, I think nowadays, because of the demand and need for content, yeah, uh, people get sort of blasted through very, very, very quickly, and nobody really has a lot of pedigree mm-hmm. anymore. And I think if you've if you've rich parents or like industry parents or whatever, it's easy to, easier to tip the scales in people's favor. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, music doesn't have the market share of what it used to, of like youth culture in the sense, like what age you lads? We're 25, 26. 20, yeah. Good vintage, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Good year for Wayne. Yeah. But I am 31. Uh-huh. So maybe, maybe yeah, you, you, probably, you were probably the, the, the the very last, uh, you know, age bracket that experienced the whole thing that music can dictate what clothes you wear, your yeah. hairstyle, the places you hang out, the, pe- the people you hang out with. Mm. And, you know, for the longest time, you know, music dictated that. Now we've got video games and uh, YouTube and... You know, so it doesn't it doesn't really have the same share of of youth culture, mm-hmm. and I think in this age, like you know, where people get blasted through to fame very, very, very quickly, uh, with no real pedigree, it's just like you know, people need something instantaneous, and then they move on to the next thing. Yeah, it's so all like passive. Yeah, yeah. So like a good example recently, and I'm sure he's a lovely dude. But the, like the guy skateboarding and drinking cranberry juice to yeah, dreams. Yeah. Like you're seeing him everywhere. Like Snoop Dogg's got him on. I'm sure he's a cool motherfucker. But yeah, um, yeah. but in the same token, just people need that that 
bit of content and stuff like that. But yeah. bringing that back to the whole brand Downey thing um, and the Phil Liner thing um, is that, you know, I'm lucky to have that now in my CV. That, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. someone from that era of music that I love and has dictated, you know, um, the clothes I wear and, you know, my subsequent taste in music and the instruments I play, you know, I now have that, that seal of approval from someone who was there and goes, well, yeah, he can, he can, he can kick it with the rest of them, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, suppose, I suppose on that, how did, as you mentioned, you have, you're a well-connected man and very talented individual, but how did, how did it actually, how, like, how were you put in touch with Brian Downey for the Alive and Dangerous to join that band or that group or pretty much how did it happen? I was working in a laundrette and, um, in um, Clontarf in Dublin and I was uh, just fixing the machines, filling up the soap dispenser and I was just singing along to the Lizzie song on the, the radio and Brian and he came in to wash his smalls and um, <laughs> and you know a terrible beauty was born no um, that's oh. incorrect <laughs> I thought you were going to hold his washing ransom until he let you join the band. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have one euro? Well, fuck it, you're not getting one euro until I play with you, goddammit. <laughs> uh, I locked him in the shop. And, um, <laughs> no, I was, I, I'd just done the Tiz Lizzy thing um, every 4th of January, which is the anniversary of Phil's passing. There is a concert in Dublin called The Vibe for Philo. And like people from all over the world and former band members and X, Y, and Z all get together and have a concert and a bit of crack. And it's like a, like a, it's a nice way to extend the Christmas period and just a bit of a party. And uh, I, I'd done that on a number of occasions and played with a few different X and Lizzie members. And in 2016, which was, would have been the 30th anniversary of Phil's passing I got to play with Brian Downey and then enjoyed it and um, him and a guy called Dirk Summer who uh, you know has worked with everybody as like a roadie and then tour management and X, Y and Z he's a cool guy Uh, put the project together and we we just toured about the place and done festivals and had a bit of crack but it's cool Okay. And can you tell us this? What sort of drew you, you know, as a young man to like Thin Lizzy and to Phil? Was it the lyrics? Was it the way the band played? Or, or was it the fact that, you know, you were alluding to earlier that, you know, as a musician, as, as, as music sort of used to influence the way we dressed, the way we, the way we wore her, the way we sort of spoke, the people that we hung out with? Was it that, you know, Phil just had just oozed this coolness, this authenticity and uniqueness? Or, or what, what was it? Yeah, very much so. Um, it was just like something intangible. He, he was just kind of rock and roll. I know that sounds cheesy, mm-hmm. but to like an 11 or 12-year-old, he just embodied the sort of spirit of rock and roll. And uh, I just wanted a piece of it. And then it just sort of coincided that, I, uh, you know, I looked a bit like him. And, um, <laughs> And then, you know, when you're a teenager and, you know, you're trying things with experimenting with fashion and all that kind of stuff, you're trying to, you know, make some sort of semblance of yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, a good, a good, if any teenagers are listening, a good thing to do is um, 
pick somebody like famous or whatever who looks a tiny bit like you and then see what they can get away with fashion wise and then you you can do that yourself and hopefully not make a fashion faux pas so, so what you're trying to say is, Matt, I what I'm like, what Chris Evans or what, or <laughs> do you know what I mean, or Chris O'Dowd or something. I mean, <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know. Yeah, we, you know, uh. <laughs> mentioned as well about the turn with uh, Live and Dangerous all over the world and supporting, as you say, like the likes of Ozzy Osbourne. Now, is there anywhere that really stands out as you for being a great gig, either personally or maybe you know the Thin Lizzy music was received really well somewhere you thought was you know surprising or was there any moments of it that really stood out to you in terms of just like this is it this is just absolute bliss um uh, with the dead presidents released an ep called can you dig it in like 2012 and like we we sold out uh, the queen's students union um oh just all sort of organically. And that, that was a great feeling, you know, because that was all, you know, done by the people in the band and a promotion campaign. And we sold a lot of T-shirts and CDs and got festival appearances and radio airplay off the back of it. That felt really, really good. And then with Brian, we did a gig in France uh, in a suburb outside Paris. I can't even pronounce it. You know, God forgive me. But... Um, it was a really good gig. We'd, we'd practice for months. We'd sort of hidden ourselves away and practice. And it was the first gig of like a three-week tour around Europe. And um, it was just like a well-oiled machine. It all felt right and felt good. We did did Sweden rock in, in Sweden to like 50 or 60,000 people. And that was really, really, really cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, how did it how did it feel to play um in 2019 at the GPO for the you know in tribute to the commemorative stamps for Phil and for Thin Lizzy? Like that, like I seen bits and like it just looked cool as fuck. I'm not gonna lie to you. Like yeah. it just was like that is like to, to to not only play in Dublin, you know, his hometown, um, but to play in such an historic building in general, you know, steeped in Irish history. How did that feel? Oh, fantastic. I'm, I'm a sort of a student of, of Irish history. It, it fascinates me, you know. If you don't know your history, you don't know where you're going, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I think we're the first band to ever play there. Right. right. Holy That's fuck. Fucking really cool. First band to ever play there in honour of the stamp. Uh, then there's Ian Fiddle's stamp. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it was fantastic. And Jim Fitzpatrick, the guy who, who did all their art and designed the stamp, came out and introduced us. And I, I kind of know him um, pretty informally, and he's a nice guy. And it, it was just a nice vibe. And you know, the production company that did the sound, you know, had done their homework. And it was a lovely feeling. And everybody that was there wanted to be, wanted to be there kind of thing. But I got into uh, an argument with two guards uh, after like loading load out of the um, of the GPO, and uh, I had just broken up with my uh, then girlfriend, uh-huh. and I was just in an in an awful mood. And I'm sure the thought, you know, the northern accent, aggressive northern accent guy, <laughs> probably, you know, is is there a bomb in this VW car? <laughs> I, I, and if, if, you know, if, 
if the, one of those two guards, one was a Dublin guy and one was a Kerry guy, if they're listening to this podcast, I apologize. I was, uh, <laughs> I was just saying red and mm. uh, I didn't deserve to talk to you. You just didn't deserve to be talked to like that. But uh, there you go. I was just, I had a bad day. So all happens. What about? It happens to the best of them. Oh, yeah. Uh, what about your, I'm curious about maybe your relationship with Thin Lizzy's music as you say, you're obviously like a super fan prior to getting involved with Live and Dangerous, but are there any tracks that say maybe you were a big fan of maybe prior to joining the group or growing up that then maybe now playing them, you look at them differently or similarly maybe tracks that you appreciate more or albums that you appreciate more now that you've been on the other side of it nearly? You know, how has that affected your relationship with Thin Lizzy's music with you clearly? Well, I suppose Thin Lizzy is, is kind of like uh, the equivalent of your first love. You know, it's the band that got me into music. And um, it's, it's just sort of like a cyclical feeling, like, you know, spending time in your bedroom as a teenager, practicing, and you know, you know, maybe when other people are out drinking and partying and going mad. And then, you know, the payoff of that is, is getting to you know, play the music with one of the guys that actually made it was there. Um, yeah, well, they always they, they always continue to surprise me. You know, I've been listening to them, you know, for eighteen or nineteen years, and um, you know, they always continue to surprise me. So, and that's the sort of the mark of of good music. Yeah, absolutely. You also had um, like a special relationship and had the privilege of knowing um, Phil's mother as well. How did that yeah. come about? Um, I, I met. I used to work in the Guitar Emporium, and now defunct, um, like high end guitar shop on Bradbury Place, just down the road from Queen's University. Uh-huh. And in two thousand and five, they had an event, uh, like a Thin Lizzy commemoration, with a gig happening in the limelight, and Phil's guitar, bass guitar was on show in the guitar emporium and she was up signing books and stuff. So I just got chatting to her and um, she was, she's a lovely woman, but I, I was very sort of intimidated kind of thing. <laughs> right. Because if, I suppose if you, if you, if you compare it to like uh, Catholicism or whatever, she's like uh, the Virgin Mary in this yeah. whole, and I was, I was just a bit nervous, but then, you know, go, you know, doing the Tiz Lizzy thing and you know, playing at that concert in January. Uh, every January, I just got to meet her and got to know her, and she sort of took a shine to me. Okay. But just a lo- lovely, warm woman, and it's very unfair when a parent has to bury their child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not that it's not that it's not fair when a, a child has to bury a parent, but mm-hmm. uh, it's even harder. Mm-hmm. In in the like annals of music history, Irish or otherwise, what would you say, or to, to someone who maybe? is nobody knowledgeable about a thin lizzy how would you sort of sum them up their impact culturally both the band and phil himself i think sometimes people you know look at the one or two hits that you know penetrated the american charts you know for the uh, for, for the vast cross section of the world that knows you about thin lizzy it's probably those two or three songs mm-hmm. and they are, they are amazing songs there's a, re- there's a good reason why to you know people know those songs but there's there's a world of, of other other music in there that you know that spans 
multiple different genres. Like Phil was a real culture vulture. They would have listened and read all sorts of different music and books. And it all sort of was put into the melting pot and, you know, spat out into the music. Mm. And it's, it's just a real like musical education. You know, I was told by uh, an older musician I admired, I admired when I was a teenager, like, if you want to get better at music and better at writing songs or whatever, you should look into the music that the people you like liked. Yeah. Yeah. And then go from there. And that, that started a whole journey. Like Finn Lizzie like Finn Lizzie get um sort of tarred with being like a hard rock heavy metal band. And that's true to an extent. You know, yeah. there's some there's some really great rock rock moments, you know, like just classic, classic stuff. And mm. um but as well as there's there's a funk element and there's a soul yeah. element and so like in the classic sort of period of Thin Lizzy, you know, the dual guitar harmonies, I would sort of describe it as like a, a soul boy bass player and singer, a jazz drummer, and then, you know, a guitar player in like the sort of American West Coast style, and then a, another guitar player in the sort of bluesy rocking style, and that all comes together as a sort of really cool music. Yeah, almost like a, mel- a melting pot, says you, of just collaboration and, uh, and, and just some great, great talent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you haven't listened to them, check, check them out. It's fantastic, you know. Without a doubt. So, Opened up a world of music to me, you know. Yeah, Absolutely. without a doubt. Uh, we got to ask you about, uh, you know, the times we are living in because uh, they are strange. How have you been getting on through lockdown? Um, what have you been keeping yourself busy with? Um, so I, um, as I was saying earlier, I'd like to release some, uh, original music at some point in 2021. So I have been putting it all together during lockdown and just the demoing process. The hope would be to record in the barn sort of adjacent to my house. Yes. Uh, in a sort of old school analog style, like. There, there's a lot of freedom with digital technology because you can put it in your back pocket and you know you can go all over the world and blah 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 blah. But in the same token, you're sort of taking some of the humanity out of it in the sense that recordings nowadays, you know, the bass player can be in Stockholm, the drummer in Tokyo or wherever, plug into a computer, and you know, they're just playing along with the the waveforms on the computer. And yeah. there's not a lot of human interaction or involvement. So my sort of plan would be, you know, COVID-19 restrictions notwithstanding, to kind of make like a analog studio using old school processes and, uh, you know, with people in the room recording together and just building it up like that in the old school style. Not a lot of, you know, Modern studio trickery, you know, if you can't play it, you can't play it, or if it's out of tune, it's out of tune. Um, yeah. That sort of spirit of sort of 60s or 70s record. So I bought an old, like, 70s eight track mixing console. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I've just been putting it all together, writing the songs, talking about music video ideas, um, all like that kind of stuff. And I don't have a record deal. And the hope would be, you know, do a few self-released EPs Mm -hmm. in the hope that after one or two or three of them, somebody goes, 
well, we're going to help finance an album for you. And, you know, the goal would be to have my own album of my own original tunes um, recorded on vinyl. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know what I mean? If, uh, you know, some terrible accident happens and I can't play the guitar, I can't sing, from that point onward, at least I'll have a vinyl that sort of sums up what I was about from, yeah. you know, the start of when I played music to now, you know. Okay. Okay. And in terms of like, um, I, I, I understand you're a, you're a keen gardener uh, and you also have some uh, bees on the go as well. I've still got one colony left so I can read them all back up again and hopefully, you know, fix any problems that come up along the way. But mm-hmm. yeah, I love it. It's more like the honey's nice, but it, you know, it's an Irish summer. If you get a shitty rainy summer, you don't get much honey. I'm, I'm happy to kind of do it. It's fun and peaceful and mindful and um, there's worse things to be doing, you know? Very oh, true. absolutely. absolutely. Very true. So we have one, well, before, as we will sort of head for a wrap up um, and let you get away, but we have a sort of question we try to ask um, a few of our guests to see if we get a, get a bit of an interesting answer. Um, the question is essentially, if you were a drink, an alcoholic beverage or non-alcoholic beverage, what would what drink would you be? The example we keep giving, and we need to think of another one because it's probably the third time now, is Jack would be a pint of Guinness because he's an acquired taste and some people pretend they like him. <laughs> <laughs> so what would you like? Or your music, whatever. That's, that's deep. Uh, <laughs> Jack's not, that's the issue. <laughs> I would be a flirtini, which is... Uh, Oh, <laughs> indeed. Champagne <laughs> cocktail with, with pineapple chunks. Oh, uh, delightful. Uh, Very fancy. Palate, it's a palate cleanser, you know, like kind of a, a sore, like a, a sore bay, if you will. Yes, uh, yes, yes. Very good. <laughs> uh, well, like, I, I'm kind of not feeling the whole vibe of, of modern music. There's lots of great music being made, but it, mm. it, finds its, it finds it hard to find its way to the surface. Mm. And, uh, Hopefully, I'm maybe like an, an uh, a palate cleanser for your ears. This new music's like a palate cleanser for your ears, you know. Okay, okay, perfect, perfect. great perfect. answer, definitely the the best one I think we've had so far. Yeah, I was gonna say without a doubt. Um, and the suppose the final question is, where can the lovely people find you? I mean, what's where where are you at on your socials? What is your name? And um, where can they see uh, Matt Wilson play? And what's the crack? A, a live stream or per- person or whatever. Apparently Facebook has cracked down on live streams because PRS were complaining that they couldn't adequately monitor like all these people doing live streams and the songs they were doing. So uh, if you do a live stream now, Facebook just shuts it down. Oh, Uh, wankers. mm. Matt, thank you very much for coming and chatting to us and uh, good luck with the rest of lockdown. No worries, boss. It was absolutely lovely speaking to you. All the best uh, in your future endeavours with the podcast. And thank you very much for having me. in the room once again yes that was a fantastic Matthew Wilson Matthew Wilson brilliant musician who seems to have done it all from his 
Al Dude Brothers to Dead Presidents, articles, film reviews, and of course, Alive and Dangerous with Brian Downey himself. Very talented and multi-skilled individual mm-hmm. who you can find on all various social medias, including Jack. You can find him on Facebook at Matt Wilson Music. You can also find him on Instagram as well as Matt Wilson or, of course, Matt Wilson Music. You can also get him on his YouTube channel as well. It's Matt Wilson. I think he has a website as well. If you Google Matt Wilson Music, you'll find it there. Mm-hmm. And you'll find all you need to find about the guy and keep up to date with what he's at. And hopefully when all this is over, maybe you can even see him play some of his many instruments and sing some of his songs in person. Indeed. Mm-hmm. But, yes, that's us for an hour week, I mm-hmm. think, is it? It is indeed, yeah, it I is. think so. Like I'm yeah. wrecked by him. Yeah, yeah, you have a bus to go and get out. I do, yeah. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Jack totaled the car. <laughs> <laughs> Not get in that last one. <laughs> But Pops yes. haven't found her yet. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Laying at the bottom of Loch Ness. What? <laughs> but yes, the man opposite myself, who I suspected had came to steal the copper wire from the abandoned cafe below my flat, but it was far too organised and was actually is now a construction site. It was not, in fact, a deranged and desperate Jack Donnelly. No, it was not indeed. It was not indeed. I wouldn't have the brains for such things, Sean, no. as you well know. Uh, and of course, the man sitting opposite me landed in this evening with a packet of W5 printed wipes. I wonder, is he getting commission <laughs> off that outfit over in the Odyssey, I think? It is, but I'm taking them home. Fucking antibacterial <laughs> wipes are like gold dust by fucking hell. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But anyway, that is us for another week. Thank you very much for listening. Catch us where, Sean? You can find us on Facebook. You ain't heard nothing yet. Uh, Instagram you, at you ain't heard nothing yet. You can find Jack Dolly on Instagram at Jackie one two three Jack of the Y. Jackie the Y. You can find us both on Facebook, all such things. Find Jack on Instagram, obviously abuse him there too. And check out my film and culture, arts and culture, bullshitty blog, uh, the Project Seanist, gorgeous wordplay. And of course, you can find the film club related stuff up there that goes with our film club podcast. And of course, the podcast itself. You're obviously listening to it on some sort of platform. We are on Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify, we're on Google Podcasts. Uh, we're currently uploading our back, back catalogue <laughs> oh, from the archives uh, to YouTube, so they'll be up there on the regular in the coming weeks. It's just a fucking asshole to try and upload, yeah. not going to lie, but we're getting there. Dairy on Wi-Fi cannot cope with a <laughs> YouTube video upload. And yeah, you can find us all those places. Um, I want to get it on Alexa, so we'll see how that goes too. <laughs> but if you're if you heard this, you're you're listening to it somewhere, so please do keep on listening, like, share, subscribe, all such things. But in the meantime, that was Matt Wilson and his wonderful, wonderful stories about Thin Lizzy and all such other things. And you have been listening to You, you ain't heard, heard nothing yet. yet.